the most reverend R.C. Trench, who was the one time the Protestant Archbishop of Dublin, had a morbid fear of becoming paralyzed. One evening at a party, the lady he sat next to at dinner heard him muttering mournfully to himself, well, it's happened at last. Total instability, insensibility of the right limb. Your grace, said the lady, it may comfort you to learn that it is my leg that you are pinching. Now, does anyone here relate to the most reverend R.C. Trench? You know, some people are naturally worry warts. Some people worry so much that they're like the lady who said, I feel bad when I feel good, for I know that in a while I'll feel bad again. Worry is a powerful and negative force in our lives. For many people, it consumes the waking moments of their day and it even invades their dreams at night. I once read that most warriors spend their time worrying about the mistakes of yesterday and the fears about tomorrow. Of course, these are things we can do nothing about. We can't undo the mistakes of yesterday and our worries have no effect on what's coming tomorrow. This makes worry one of the most useless things that we can do. The only real thing that worry can do is rob us of peace right here and right now. Anxiety and worry can cause all sorts of problems in our lives. They can cause problems like a, a fear to act or to do something. They can cause discouragement. They can give us a defeatist attitude. Lead us to make quick and unwise decisions. We can even become physically ill because of our anxiety and our worries. And anxiety and worry can also cause us to backslide in our relationship with Jesus. When we worry about something, it dominates our thoughts and it dominates our minds. And in that moment, we are not at peace. We may be able to put on a good face in public, but internally we are not at peace. It's good news to know that God does not want us to be stressed, overcome, discouraged and defeated because of worry. He wants us to experience his peace. But how do we do that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. It's page 901. If you've got a pew Bible, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Familiar verses. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The title of the message this morning is Experiencing God's Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity Lord, to gather, to study your word, to see what it has for us in our lives. Father, we are a people that know what it is to let anxiety control us, to be worried about things, Lord, that may happen or things that have happened that we can do nothing about. Father, for many of us in here today, worry and anxiety has given us many a sleepless nights, ruined many a day and, and caused us, Father, to be short with our families and hindered. Our ability to really live for you as you would have us to. But God, as we look at your word, the many times that, that we're promised that there is peace if our thoughts are fixed upon you, that Jesus has come to give us peace, we know 
that a life overcome with anxiety and worry, that is not your will, but God, that is never your will. Father, you have told us how to handle it and how to deal with it. So, Father, today as we look at your word, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Father, what you've given us here, it can almost seem too easy. And Lord, because it seems too easy, we think it can't be real. We, We can't believe that this is really the path to peace. And so we, we really don't even try it. Father, guide us today. Help us not to push this away. Help us not to resist it and reject it. But God, to, to hear and to heed this as your word. Let us take it and apply it to our lives. Let us begin to be people of prayer so that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, can guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Make us a people at peace. Not worried, not frightened, not overcome by these things. Father, we know from your word that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Let us understand who we are in Christ and what we can have through Christ. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Don't let me be a hindrance in any way to what you want done. Glorify yourself in this time, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When we talk about peace, we often think of it as a lack of conflict. Peace is when everything in my world is exactly the way it should be. There is no conflict. There is no pain. There is no fear. There is no hardship. There is no struggling. There is no nothing that makes me uncomfortable or that I would call bad going on in my life. And while this is a type of peace, Understand, it is not the peace that the Word promises us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is no promise in Scripture that we can have enough faith so that our lives will be free of conflict and worry and things that could cause us to worry. There is no promise in Scripture That we can have enough faith or live a certain way. And there will never be anything bad that happens in my life. That I'll never lose my job. That my spouse will never turn away and forsake me. That my children will never become prodigals. There is no promise in Scripture that we will always be healthy and financially prosperous. The promise of Scripture is actually far greater than that. The promise of Scripture is that in the midst of the times when we are not financially prosperous, in the midst of the times when we are in ill health, in the midst of the times when our families are falling apart, in the midst of the times when there is war and rumors of war on the news, I can have peace which passes all understanding. This peace is far greater than the peace we often want to have. It is a peace that calms us and stills us in the midst of a chaotic world. It is a peace that calms and stills our hearts when they threaten to be overcome by fear. It's a a peace that calms and stills our minds when, when we can't get all of the anxious and worrisome thoughts out of there. And it's a peace that is available for each and every child 
of God. This morning, if you have repented of your sins and you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, peace can be yours. Worry and anxiety taking away your peace and making your life in turmoil is not, nor never will be, the will of God for your life. It is not, and it will not ever be the want of God for your life. The will and the want of God is revealed to us in the Word of God. And it says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, not could, not might, not even should, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That peace that passes all understanding, it is available to every believer in Jesus Christ. But how do we get it? Well, the answer honestly seems so simple that we will be tempted to say that's not real. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Some translations render this rather, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. That's the answer. How do we have peace when everything around us conspires to steal this peace? How do we have peace when there are threats of war and rumors of war in the news? How do we have peace when Oklahoma seems to be burning? How do we have peace when all kinds of threats and fears and worries consume us? We, we pray. We pray. The main truth. Prayer to God brings the peace of God. Like I said, that's, that seems too simple. There's already some probably that are saying, that's not real. I mean, that's not right. But before you dismiss this and, and, and tune out of the message, let me challenge you with something. There's a story in the Old Testament about a man who has leprosy. And he's a pagan. He's overcome with it. There's nothing they can do about it. But he has a servant girl who was raised in Israel. And she tells his wife, I sure wish my master would go see the prophet of God in Israel. He would cure him. So he goes to see the prophet. And the prophet does not even come out to see him. He sends his servant out to say, go dip in the Jordan River. Seven times, and you'll be made clean. And the leper, who was a general, a mighty man of valor and war, became angry, turned away in a rage to leave. And one of his servants said to him, Master, if he told you to go do some great thing, wouldn't you go do that? Why not try this simple thing and just see what happens? What do you have to lose? So he changes his mind. He goes and dips in the Jordan seven times. And on the seventh time, the Bible says his flesh became as a baby's new and the leprosy was gone. This morning, if I were to give you a a recipe for peace that was extraordinarily complicated, that requires a lot of effort and a lot of different things for you to do. Many of you would take notes and you would do those things constantly and diligently. 
But because it's something so simple, you say, no, that can't be it. I'm not even going to try. So before you go off in a huff, before you say this can't happen, listen and learn and try. What do you have to lose by simply doing what the Word of God says? What do you have to lose by simply trying this simple thing? When you and I both know if it was a complicated thing, you would do it over and over again in hopes that it would bring peace. Prayer to God brings the peace of God. This passage gives us two actions that we have to take along these lines so that we can experience the peace of God as we are meant to. And that's what I want you, as we are meant to experience. Number one, pray to God. Again, that sounds obvious and simple. But the obvious and simple stuff is often what loses us and often needs to be repeated. And there are a lot of different words used in Scripture for prayer. And we see several of those in Philippians 4 and 6. And, and each of those teaches us something about how we're to pray to God so that we can experience the peace of God. Right? So, first, pray regularly. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Now, so the very first word used for prayer would essentially refer to our times of prayer, regular times of prayer. But this isn't necessarily the crisis times of prayer. This isn't that we've gone on and now the world is crumbling and we go to God in prayer. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this is just every day we make a habit of praying to God. Every day we make a habit of spending time setting aside, closing out the world and spending time crying out to the Lord. What do we pray about in our regular times of prayer? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. It could also be translated, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. So what do we pray about in our regular times of prayer? We pray about everything. We pray about everything. It's similar to Peter saying, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. You know, I've had people tell me, oh, I don't want to bother God with my insignificant requests. You know, that mindset is totally contrary to Scripture. And it reveals a, a wrong view of God. You know, man did not come up with the idea of praying to God and God doing something in return. Prayer was actually God's idea. It was God's invention, His design, that we would pray to Him to provide our daily bread, our, our daily mindset, our daily provisions. The mindset that says God doesn't care about my needs. That my needs are insignificant. That is, that is a mindset that is not filled with the Word of God. The God who doesn't care about your concerns and care about your life and care about your regular daily requests, that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has invited us to cast our cares upon Him. The God of the Bible tells us to pray to Him about everything in our lives. And He tells us this not because mankind figured out a trick and God has to listen. He told us this because He cares for us. He loves us. He wants 
to show Himself mighty on our behalf. How could we look at the cross and understand what happened there and think God does not care about the things going on in my life? The cross is the ultimate demonstration that God cares for you and God cares for me. God invites us to regularly come to Him in prayer. Regularly cast our cares upon Him. To regularly tell Him everything that's going on in our lives. To ask Him to provide us with our daily provision. He invites us to come to Him so that He can give us His peace instead of our worries. Pray regularly to God so that you can experience the peace of God. Also, pray thankfully. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Right? We are to pray with thanksgiving. Now, it's important as we pray, especially in times where we are struggling, in times where we are anxious and worried, that we do not forget all of the good things that God has already done for us. Right? Don't forget the goodness of God when the circumstances of life are bad. Even in times when we feel crushed and we feel like our, our souls are dying, there are reasons for us to praise and to thank God for what He has done. Something we know from Scripture is that thanksgiving is always God's will for our lives, regardless of the circumstances of our lives. In fact, Scripture says our lives are to overflow with thanksgiving. How do we let our lives overflow with thanksgiving if, if the circumstances right now are bad? I think we have to think in terms of past, present, and future. What has God done for you in the past? But what is something that God has done, a prayer He has answered, a way He has helped you? I mean, if you can't think of personal things, there are biblical things. Jesus died for you in the past. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you called upon Him to save you, He forgave your sins in the past. In the past, He put His Holy Spirit within you. Right? But there are also, we should all be able to look at our past and say, here are times that God answered my prayers. Here are times that God has protected me. Here are times where God has provided for me. Here are ways that God has changed my life in the past. We look to the past at what has been done and we praise the Lord. We thank Him for His past, thankful, His past faithfulness and work in our lives. At the same time, we look to the present. Now, in the present can be hard if our present circumstances are bad. But if we can lift our eyes beyond the present circumstances, there are still good things going on in our lives, aren't there? Again, even if we can't see it in our circumstances, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that He will never leave me nor forsake me. The Bible says... That there is right now no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that God hears and cares about my problems and He hears me when I pray. The Bible says all of these things. So even if I can't see it and even if I don't, I'm not fully aware of it, I can praise God for the promises that He has given me that are current for right now in this life. But at the same time, if we can look up, there are things that God is doing. 
But the Bible says every good thing and every perfect gift we have comes down from Father of lights, who is with no shadow of turning, right? Our God is the giver of every good thing we have in our lives. If you're in a bad circumstance, but there is one good thing in your life, where did it come from? It came from God. And as you begin to thank Him for that, here's what I found. Thank you for this. Oh, wait, there's that as well. No, and thank you for that person who helped and for this person who cares and for that over there. And as we begin to thank God for what He is doing, we just begin to get on a roll and see over and over more and more of His goodness in our life. But then we also thank God for what He's going to do. How many future promises are there? In the promise of a Christ returning to take us home to be with Him, being saved from the judgment to come, going to a, a land where there's no sickness nor death nor parting, where there's streets of gold, where, where the Lamb of God is the light and we will see Him as He is. Man, that's good stuff. I mean, the stuff that's promised us in the future is so great that the Apostle Paul, in the midst of suffering and hardship and trials, said that the suffering of this life cannot compare with the glory of that that's to come. For the child of God, there is always a reason to be thankful. There is stuff in the past, there is stuff in the present, and there is stuff in the future. So as we pray, we don't forget to thank God for all that He has done, all that He is doing, and all that He has promised to do. In the circumstances of life, when they are difficult, force yourself to look beyond them, to see what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has promised to do. And then pray thankfully so that you can experience the peace of God. Also, pray specifically. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. The idea of your request be made known to God, it, it refers to detailed prayer about specific issues. Now, many times we are guilty of praying generic shotgun prayers. And if you have prayed for any amount of time at all, you have prayed one of these kinds of prayers. Let me give you some examples of generic shotgun prayers that I know I have prayed and I'm sure you have as well. God be with Bob. Now, God is everywhere all of the time, so God is with Bob. So what are we actually saying there? What do we want God to accomplish in letting Bob know he's there? What would Bob's awareness of God in his life accomplish? Would Bob be strengthened by knowing and being made aware of God's presence? Would Bob be encouraged by knowing his God was there and cared? Would, God, would Bob be strengthened in this time? What, what would happen if God made his presence known to Bob? Whatever we mean for that to happen, that's what we ought to pray. If we think they're discouraged and we want God to be with them to encourage them, then pray, God, encourage Bob. If we think he's weak and needs to be strengthened, then pray God strengthen Bob. Pray specifically, not generically.
Or we might pray, God, bless Bob. Now, that's the generic shotgun prayer I find myself praying most often. But what, what does that look like? Uh, this is one that, again, it, this sounds specific, bless Bob. But what, what would God's blessing on Bob's life look like? Would it look like strength, provision, healing? Would it look like encouragement, a restoration of his family, the return of his prodigal? What would the blessing on Bob's life look like? Well, whatever that blessing would look like, pray that. Or... God, help Bob. But help Bob what? What does Bob need help with? What does Bob need God to do in his life? Now, sure, there will be times when we don't know. Sometimes God may lay someone on our hearts and we just can sense there's something wrong. Sometimes someone may not tell us, pray for me. Okay. I don't know what to pray for specifically. And in those times, help Bob is a great prayer to pray. But if we know the specifics of the help Bob needs, then we ought to pray specifically. And we should take this with our lives as well. God, be with me. God, bless me. God, help me. Don't pray that way. Pray as specifically as you possibly can every time you pray. And I want to I want to be blunt for just a second. I think there are two primary reasons we pray generic shotgun prayers. The first is that we lack faith. One of the things I've seen and done is to pray a generic shotgun prayer and then look for something or anything that would be the answer to that prayer. It takes far more faith to be specific in prayer than it does to be general, to shoot a shotgun kind of prayer. God, restore Bob's prodigal. It's far more faith-filled prayer than God be with Bob. God, restore Bob's marriage. It takes far more faith than God bless Bob. God, restore my prodigal. It takes far more faith then God help me. It takes far more faith to pray specifically than it does generally. The second reason is that we're lazy. It's far easier to pray generic shotgun prayers than it is to pray specifically. Specific prayer requires us to think through what we think God ought to do, what we think God needs to do about this situation. Specific prayer requires us to take time. Generic prayers are easy. I'm sure you've seen the cartoon where a guy is walking in church and he says, oh, oh no, there's Scott. I promised to pray for him. God bless Scott. Hey, Scott, been praying for you. Right? That's often, unfortunately, what we do. It's not really praying for him, though. That's just spiritual laziness. It takes effort, time. To pray specifically for our need and for the needs of others. Specific prayer requires us to take extended time communicating with God. God bless Bob is far easier. 
resist the pool of easy, generic shotgun prayers and pray specifically. Pray specifically so that you can experience the peace of God. And then finally, pray passionately. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is to ask something of someone, in this case God, but the word carries with it fervency in our prayers. It's an intense sharing of burdens, needs, and problems. A supplication prayer isn't the quick, dear Lord, take care of this, amen, type of prayer. It's the kind of prayer what what I've often heard what I would call the older preachers refer to as praying through. Praying through is praying till we sure we are sure we have broken through and reached the throne of God. Praying through takes time. It takes effort. The Bible often describes prayer as laboring fervently. If you have never labored fervently in prayer, you have not prayed passionately. And I believe there is a lack of peace from our prayers these days because there is a lack of praying passionately and praying through. Too often, what passes for our prayer life is superficial and rushed and lacks any real fervor or passion. The best example of someone who prayed passionately and experience God's peace is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want us to take a moment and look at that. So turn to Mark chapter 14, verse 32. If you have a pew Bible, that's page 775. Actually, we'll start in verse 32. So they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and pray. Now look how Jesus is described In these verses, troubled, deeply distressed, his soul exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. Sounds like a lack of peace to me. But now drop down to verse 41. And then he came the third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed to the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. That's a change of attitude. He went into the garden, troubled, deeply distressed, exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. And then he greeted his betrayer and the people that would crucify him with calm and peace. What made the difference? What happened in the intervening verses that went him, that took him 
from troubled and deeply distressed, exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death, to calm and at peace. Well, it was the praying he did in verses 35 through 40. Now, Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane is a sermon all by itself, so I don't have time to look at all that there is. There's a few truths I want us to, to notice. The first is the intensity of the prayer. Look at verse 35. He went a little further and he fell down on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, that that hour might pass from him. Right? He goes off by himself to pray. Here's the essence of the prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now, so there's the essence of his prayer, but it's not all that he prayed, because look at what he goes on to say in verse 37. But he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Right, so the essence of what he prayed was, if it, Father, all these things are possible from you, if it's, let this cup be taken away from me. That's the essence of the prayer, but how long did he pray? For about an hour, he prayed that prayer. That's quite an investment of time. But that's not the only time that he prayed it. Look at what it goes on and says in verse 39. And he went away and prayed and he spoke the same words. And when he came and he found them asleep, for their eyes were heavy, they did not know what to say. Then he came a third time. So if he did it the same way all three times, he went and he prayed for an hour once. And he came back. And then he went and he prayed for an hour. And then he came back. And then he went and he prayed for an hour. And then he came back. So he prayed close to three Hours. I mean, that is quite an investment of time. Quite a lot of time to spend before the Lord, crying out to God before the peace of God came. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that God doesn't hear short prayers, that short prayers are unspiritual or anything like that. But I am saying... That if we are going to pray through and experience the peace of God that passes all understanding, there will be times where we have to stay there and keep praying until the peace comes. We cannot expect to say, dear Lord, take care of this. Amen. And that bring the peace of God into our lives. Passionate prayer does take time. Mark doesn't show it as much, but the intensity of his prayer is also there. Matthew's account says that his sweat fell, as it were, like great drops of blood. There was a deep intensity in his praying. He was laboring fervently in this time of prayer. Something else to see is the surrender of the prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Here's his specific prayer. Father, take this cup from me. But then there's a surrender. But not what I want. What you want is what needs to be done. Now, this is an attitude we can often forget during the hard times of life. But it is important that we surrender our will to God. There is, well, He is God. I mean, there's just, that's just how we have to understand it. He is God. And so there's no bending of God to our will, no matter how long we pray, how loud we pray, how fervently we pray, how much faith we have. I mean, God's God. And so there has to be a moment where we say, your will be done. 
Now, this doesn't mean we don't tell God what we think needs to be done. I mean, we should. God, my, my marriage is crumbling. Heal it. Fix it. Lord, I, I think I'm going to lose my job. Make it not happen. Father, my child is sick. Heal them. We should absolutely pray and be specific about what we desire God to do. But He is God and not us. So there must be a point in which we surrender and say, but nevertheless, Your will be done. We have to surrender. Go ahead and turn back to Philippians. I'm afraid that many times we do not experience the peace of God in our prayer because we are not praying passionately. Sometimes it's because we're not willing to put forth the effort necessary to pray passionately. Other times it's because we're not willing to surrender our wants or our will or our ideas to God. But, but in the end, the result is the same. There is no real peace in our lives. And what makes this sad is that God can give us peace regardless of the circumstances of our lives. That God wants to give us peace regardless of the circumstances in our lives. Again, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, make no mistake, that is God's will for your life. Without, without fail, without hesitation, that is what God wants all of us to have and experience on a day-in and day-out basis. But without praying as we should, we will miss out. We must resist the pull of superficial rush prayers and pray passionately so that we can experience the peace of God. So we pray to God, but then we, we trust God. After we have prayed, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, which you request they be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Will. That's a certainty. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. Not that He might or should, but that we will. That when we pray to God, with prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and making our request known to God, the peace of God will Guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do we really believe that? Again, is this one of those things where that just seems too simple? Pray to God, trust God, experience the peace of God. Is it really that easy? Is it really that simple? Well, I would say two things. One, simple and easy aren't necessarily the same thing. Simple, it is. Pray to God, trust God, experience the peace of God. It is just that simple. Easy? kind of prayer talked about in verse 6 is not easy. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes labor. There is agony of soul that goes on in those kinds of prayers. But I think we miss out because we aren't willing to put forth the effort. And we aren't willing to put forth the effort because we really don't believe it's true. We really don't believe that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can guard our minds, will guard our minds through Christ Jesus. I'm afraid that we don't pray as we should because we don't believe as we should. We have to remember that Hebrews 11.6 that says that without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that, that comes to God must believe that He is 
and that he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. Right? Faith always motivates action. We pray, as it says, and then we trust in the character of God. At the bare minimum, there are two aspects of God's character and nature that we have to trust. Trust God's love desires my best. Now, probably we all grew up singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I think intellectually we all believe that, God's lo- that God loves us, but is that knowledge, has it gone from our head to our hearts so that we recognize that God always desires what's best for us regardless of the circumstances of our lives? Right? Because it's easy to believe God desires my, loves me and desires my best when everything in my life is as it should be. When my finances are good, when everyone is healthy, when there are no strife or problems in my life, and the world is generally working, I think that it should. The real challenge of trusting that God loves us and desires our best is seen when everything in our world begins to blow up. Can I trust that God loves me and desires my best when the test results come back badly? Can I trust that God loves me and desires my best when a loved one dies? Can I trust that God loves me and desires my best when I lose my job? Can I trust that God loves me and desires my best when my prayers go unanswered? Can I trust that God loves me and desires my best when my spouse abandons me? Can I trust that God loves me and desires my best when my children become prodigals? Can I trust that God loves me and desires my best when the world around me seems to crumble? We must. We must. We must trust that God loves us and desires our best as much in the bad times as we do in the good. We must do away with the notion that says if God loves us, nothing bad will ever happen in our lives. And in order to challenge that mindset, all you have to do is look at Scripture. Is there anyone in Scripture that God loved that did not have bad things happen to them? Is there even one person, one, who loved God and God loved them back and their life was easy and there was never a failure and there was never a hardship and there was never a trial? There is not. It wasn't true of the prophets. It wasn't true of the apostles. It wasn't true for the early church. And my friends, it will not be true for us either because it is not true. It is not the Bible. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 37. Tell us that in these times, God still loves us and we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. The hard times of life have no bearing on God's love for our lives or the fact that He desires what is best for us. This is a fundamental truth that we have to trust. Without trusting that God's love desires our best, we will never have God's peace. We must be able to understand 
that God's love for us desires our best, and that is true no matter the circumstances of our lives. And then we must trust God's knowledge knows what is best. And we would all hopefully affirm the truth that God knows everything about everything. But it's one thing to affirm that God knows everything. But it's something entirely different to trust God always and unfailing knows what's best. Again, this is not so much a problem when all is right in my world. Everything is working as it should be. God's plans are perfect and pure and wonderful. And God is awesome. But what about when things go sideways in our lives? Is God's, does He still know everything? Are His plans still beautiful and wonderful and perfect? We have to remember that God's perspective is not limited by what we can see right here and right now. Ours is. But you and I are not unbiased about anything in the world. It doesn't matter. We could talk about political decisions. And whatever your political affiliation is, would, would, it would skew your belief in what was right and wrong about politics. Right? We are not unbiased about anything. And the greater the emotional investment we have, the more biased we are. So when it comes to situations in our lives, we naturally say fixing this problem is the absolute best thing that could ever happen. Healing your daughter, healing my daughter, that's absolutely the best thing that would bring God the most glory. But God does not suffer our limitations. God has, does not have an unbiased view. He doesn't only see what's here and now. God sees an eternal perspective. He knows everything about everything, including what's to come. And so what this leads is God to say, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But God's perspective is not bound by the here and the now. His perspective is never clouded by emotion, stress, fear, or pride. And since God sees into eternity, He sees everything that is before us, and He knows the results of every decision we could possibly make. So His ways are perfect and impartial and best. No matter what those decisions are. Well, this could be mind-boggling. It just shows the greatness and the awesomeness of our God. Why can't we give God our problems and let Him give us His peace? Many times it's because we just don't trust Him. And we may not like to think of it this way. But many, if not most, of the time, worry and anxiety and a lack of peace are the results of not trusting God. We lose our peace worrying about the things that are outside of our control. And we worry about those things that are outside of our control because we don't trust that God can handle it or that He will handle it in the way that we deem best. It may be that we don't trust God's love for us, that we don't think He loves us and desires what's best. And it may be that we 
don't trust not God's knowledge that He knows what is best, but it is a trust issue. If we want to experience God's peace, we must learn to trust the love and the knowledge of God. When we pray and when we trust, the promise is that we will experience God's peace. That it surpasses all understanding. That it will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word guard is a military term. that carries with it the idea of our hearts being protected by a military guard that prevents hostile invasion. I like that. When we pray to God and we trust in God, then His peace becomes like a military guard to keep our hearts from being invaded by the hostile forces that would make us anxious, make us worry, and steal our peace. But this kind of peace, it only comes as a result of prayer. Because only God, only God has this kind of peace to give. Only God can steal our hearts. When the world fills it with fear. Only God can calm our souls. When deep down we are terrified and concerned. Only God can give us assurance when we feel so much uncertainty. But God can do it. And God has promised to do it. If we will pray to Him and trust in Him. And He will give us His peace. So let me close with asking you this. Do you have peace this morning? If not, understand that you can and you should. It is not God's desire for you to live stressed out, beat down and worried. His desire is that we would all have a peace that cannot be explained regardless of the circumstances of our life. But to have this peace, we must trust Him enough to pray to Him in all the ways that He has said we should. Now, point out quickly that this is all done through Jesus Christ. We can only experience the peace of God if we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Everything that comes from God comes through Jesus. Everything. If you're stressed this morning, if you're beat down, if you're worried, and you lack peace, You need to find out why. Is it because you're not praying to God about it? Is it because you don't trust God? Is it because you've never turned to Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Is it because you're slidden back in your relationship with Him? If you're a believer and you don't have peace, there is a reason for it. It's incumbent upon you this morning to search your heart to find out what's going on. Because our God is a God of peace who gives peace that passes all understanding. And that's available to each and every one of us this morning. Let's